Gospel according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The scriptures paint for us quite the beautiful picture of that garden in Eden, do they not? This garden of God's own planting, richly watered with an abundance of rivers, yielding pleasing fruits, fruits that are pleasing to the eye and good for food, a delight to all who partake of them, a land that is rich in precious metals, a land that provides everything that humanity shall ever need. God's greatest treasure to man by this point. From the very beginning, God sets his hand to give to man good things. And yet, this verdant garden is no mere garden of earthly delights. It is not simply a place for Adam to sit in idleness, kick back, kick up his feet, and gorge himself on everything which the Lord has given him. Rather, from the very beginning, Adam is put into this garden so that he might work, so that he might use the labor of his own hands to tend to the creation that God has set him over. Work is something that we seldom enjoy. It is a thing we do because we must. And yet from the very beginning, it was not so. Work, too, is to be counted among the good gifts of God which he gives to mankind. The scriptures in many places extol the virtue of honest labor. Work gives us something to set our hands to, gives us an outlet, gives us a means of aiding our neighbor and of partaking of the creation that God has set us over. Work, it may be said, is our own sub-creative effort. God, having created all things, is the only true creator, but he gives us an opportunity to tinker with this creation. An opportunity like children sitting on the lap of their master artist father to dip their own fingers into his paint and to participate in his great works. 
Indeed, from the very beginning, work was hardly work at all. It was a joy. It was a blessing. Man delighted to fulfill his vocation. Adam delighted to tend to the trees of that garden, delighted to provide for his wife, delighted in everything which the Lord had made, and delighted even in the sweat that fell from his brow as he attended to these good and godly labors that were set before him. The reason that he could do this, you see, was because, very uncharacteristically to our understanding, but so wonderfully characteristic of God, the order of things in the beginning was quite the opposite of what it is now. The gift, the fruit, the reward for the labor, you see, was created first before the work. Adam could devote himself to the work the Lord had given him precisely because the reward of that labor had already been given him. All of his needs of body and soul were already provided for. The work which he did was not a work done under duress, not a work done under hardship, not a work that was done under fear, but a work which he gladly attended to and which he was happy to do, knowing that everything which he needed would be provided for him, that there was no chance that his labors should fail, for the fruits of the trees of the Garden of Eden were not brought about by his own hand, but by the hand of God that was at work in Adam's very fingers. It is not so today, unfortunately, as you well know. Because of Adam's transgression, that blessed order has become a very cursed opposite. Now the work must precede the fruit. Now the labor and the suffering must come before the reward. If one desires to partake of the fruits of the earth, then he better be willing to put in all of the sweat of his face, all of the blood of his thorn-pricked fingers, all of the labor and soreness of muscle that comes from tending an earth that is now hostile, an earth in which God's blessings have been removed, an earth in which God's providence has been restrained, a earth where now, if we wish to partake of the good things, we better be willing to put in the effort. And this world is the one that all of us unfortunately, have been cursed to grow up in. And therefore, this cycle of work and then reward is the only one indeed that we have ever known from this world, and it is the one that we understand most of all. And it is also this world, unfortunately, which the devil knows most of all. For in our transgression, Adam was sold under sin, and being sold under sin, he remained captive to the power of the devil. The devil rightfully owns Adam after his transgression, and indeed all of those who have been born of his lineage are born into the same corruption and therefore born under the same slavery, a slavery to unrighteousness, a slavery full of the works of sin and transgression, participating in that transgression of our Father, and then multiplying our debt by our own sins and by our own misdeeds. 
But the devil, that crafty serpent, has confused us in this matter. For indeed, what he has sought to do is to teach us that the fruits of these works of ungodliness are something that we ought to desire. Indeed, he has much experience with this. For how did he first lead our parents astray? But by pointing to them the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of which the Lord had forbidden man to partake of, and he told man that this fruit is a good thing, something to be desired, something to be striven for, something that he should want, and something that he should be willing to transgress against the commandment of God in order to obtain. And so too the devil to this day seeks to present these fruits of darkness as altogether lovely. He wants us to set after the deep and dark desires of our hearts, and he wants us to believe that we shall find in them something worth attaining. What are these works of darkness? They are the very things that our Lord in his Ten Commandments has told us to refrain from. Every form of idolatry, every form of the misuse of God's name, every violation of the Sabbath commandments, Dishonoring of the father and mother, murder, adultery, theft, false, deceitful words, covetousness of every variety. These things man goes after, and the devil doesn't even need to raise the whip to get his slaves to pursue this task. Instead, he promises us that we shall find in them the things that we desire, that we will find in them joy, that we will find comfort in them, that we will find power and glory, that we will find satisfaction for all of our desires in these things, and therefore we ought all the more to set ourselves to these ungodly tasks, the devil whispers into our ears. And indeed for a time those fruits seem sweet. They are pleasing to the eye, these offerings. And indeed, when we bite into them, we find that they have all of that good sweetness of fruit that we desire. But it is not long before these works, like the taste of that fruit in the mouth of Adam and Eve, turns quite bitter. For indeed, what is the fruit of these things? It is death. What is the end of these pleasures of the flesh? It is hell and destruction. The momentary rush of sugar that comes upon our lips is soon exchanged for the bitterness of eternal death. That momentary distraction that we found does not abide with us when at last our hour comes. What is the fruit of all of these labors? It is nothing. Indeed, whatever joy we find in the pursuit of our sinful passions, these things will not come with us. What good are all the treasures of this life? For when we die, they remain in this world when we depart to the world to come. What shall we do with these wretches that we accumulate in this life? Shall we pay our debt to God in gold? 
Shall we present before him the very things of his creation, the things that are rightfully his, as though God should accept them as payments? Indeed, what use of any of these things has God? None. None at all. And indeed, in pursuing these things, we but multiply our transgression and multiply the justice of our damnation. For in receiving the good gifts of, these, of this creation, but not to the salutary end that God calls us, we have violated, above all, the commandment to love the Lord with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength. For to love the Lord thus is to love him above all possessions of this earth, to gladly forsake the comforts of the flesh for the sake of pursuing the Lord and his righteousness. But indeed, we have not done so. Rather, we have forsaken the Lord's offering for that temptuous fruit that the devil put in our path. What should we do then? How do we make things right? How do we come back to that Eden? How do we make ourselves right with God? How do we push past that cherubim and his flaming sword that guards the way to God? How do we make up for what we have done? We can't. And we don't. We cannot come to God. Therefore, God must come to us. Man has destroyed any power in him to come to God. Adam was wounded by his transgression, made lame and unable to approach God on his own merit. And indeed, we have all inherited that same lameness from Adam, that same inability to overcome our sinful nature. If there is a gift to be given, then given it must be. There is no way that we can merit salvation. We can only receive it. And God, knowing this, set to do just that. Just as in the Garden of Eden, God first gave every good thing to Adam before ever there was any expectation laid upon him, so too in Christ Jesus, God has given us a fruit that surpasses even all of the lovely orchards of Eden. In Christ Jesus, our own flesh and blood have been made partakers of the divine nature. And in Christ's suffering and death, he has atoned for all of the transgressions of Adam and the transgressions of all of his children that would separate us from the love of God. In Christ, the sin of Eden is undone. In Christ, paradise is restored and restored in greater measure than ever before. We have not simply gone back to Eden in him, but we have gone beyond Eden past all of the lovely and verdant pastures to the very source of life itself. We have been permitted through Christ to enter into the holy places, to come before the very throne of God and there to be enriched with every good, with everything that is needed for body and soul, everything that is needed for this life in the next, 
By Christ's gracious hand, we have received everything, everything that is necessary, everything that we could ever desire. In Christ, we have found in truth that which we sought to substitute in earthly pleasures. We have found a true heavenly pleasure. We have found true satisfaction in him. We have found true riches in his blood. We have received true honor and glory when he crowned us in baptism to be princes and co-heirs of his kingdom. We have found in him life and immortality. We have found in him peace and joy. Indeed, in him is gladness beyond all sadness. In him is joy that nothing can compare with. In him is life and righteousness forevermore. In him is a fruit beyond all comparison. And as in Eden with our father Adam, our father in heaven has given this fruit before ever we have done anything to deserve it. And it is because of this we, like Adam in that celestial paradise, can set about our works with all confidence and joy. For indeed, we set about our works. We go about our holy vocations knowing that the reward has already been given, knowing that the wage has already been prepared and credited, knowing that there is nothing that we can do that shall harm this salvation, knowing that our failures shall be forgiven, knowing that whatever we hope to accomplish in this life, whatever good we hope to do according to the commandments that God has called us to, in Christ these good works have already been fashioned. They have already been prepared for us that we may walk in them, and their end, which is sanctification and eternal life, has been completed, that we go about these labors not hoping to attain the reward, but in joy of having obtained them. And for this reason, we can find joy in everything, in the sweat of our brows, and indeed even in the lingering pricks of the thorns of this world. We go about these things and we suffer these things in joy, knowing that we shall obtain the glory that is prepared for us, and knowing that Christ shall be with us every step of the way, that when our hands go into the thorns of this world, Christ's hands go in with us, that there is nothing that we have suffered that he has not first suffered for us, and that he is not continually suffering with us. And so then, dear Christians, let me encourage you. Go about the works your Lord has prepared for you. Find delight in them. Rejoice to learn the law of the Lord and to take it to heart. Meditate upon it day and night. Let it be your friend and your counselor in all times of despair. But let it lead you also to Christ. Let it show you the work that he has done for you, and let, you, let him remind you that everything which is promised for you has been provided, and that whatever is necessary for you to attain to your final end and to receive the glory prepared for you, Christ will graciously give it of his own hand. 
and his own hand will be with you all your days. Until at last his hand shall reach you in your grave, raise your body from the soil, and set you in a new and better Eden, one that shall be enriched not with the waters of the Pishon or the Gihon or the Tigris or the Euphrates, but a verdant valley that is enriched with the river of life which proceeds from the very throne of God. May we all look to that day with great anticipation and may Christ grant it to us speedily and in our time. Amen. In the name of Jesus, our only hope in this life and the next. Amen.